You are listening to you are listening to Passing Shots with Pete Zebron on the Pro Ten Radio Network, a production of Pro Ten Global Sports. Enjoy the show. And good evening and welcome to Passing Shots on the Pro 10 Radio Network. Today is Monday, February 23rd. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen, joined by Jared Pine of the Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Hey, Pete. Here we go. Last week of the February grind, then we have some Davis Cup and Indian Wells. So there's some exciting stuff in the tennis season. Really is. We had uh, a 500 uh, last week in Rio de Janeiro, a couple of 250s, Marseille, France, and here in the United States, Delray Beach. Probably uh, one of the bigger stories last week, coming out of last week, Jared uh, Rafael Nadal, uh, beaten in the semifinals by Fabio Fognini, but uh, in his quarterfinal match, due to uh, just about every match going the distance uh, in, in Rio on the men's and women's sides, Rafael Nadal takes court at about 2 a.m. in in Rio de Janeiro. Lost the first set to uh, Pablo Cuevas, who we talked about last week, playing some good ball. And then um, he got through that match eventually, but uh, lost to Fabio Fognini. I believe it was 52 consecutive semifinals on clay that Rafael Nadal had won. Uh, Fognini, really, I mean, Nadal was all business in the first set against uh, Nadal. But uh, late in the second set, Jared, Nadal called for a time violation by Chair Carlos Bernardes, and then again, and Nadal uh, didn't seem to be the same player after that, and Fognini, on a, on a beautifully executed match point, got the job done and, and won that match. A um, couple thoughts about uh, Rafael Nadal. Uh, he's been wobbling a little bit in Rio, and overall, uh, your thoughts on uh, Nadal, who's in Buenos Aires this week, but uh, what can we expect from Nadal not only this week, but uh, going into the U.S. hardcourt season in Indian Wells in Miami. Yeah, when he uh, when he lost to Burdage, I think a lot of people weren't too worried. They were happy just to see him in the quarterfinals of a slam. And uh, we said, you know, the real test is when he's on clay. Well, okay, here's the first real test. And, uh, you know, even in that Bellucci match, I didn't think he played that well. I didn't see that much of the match with Terreno Busta. But then he goes three sets with Pablo Cuevas before getting knocked out by Fabio Fanini. So obviously not a great week for him. There's still more questions uh, about him physically and just overall where his game is at right now. Um, but a great win for Fabio Fanini and obviously the craziness of starting a match at 2 a.m. Um, you know, it's not ideal. And there's nothing that tournament directors could have done about that. I mean, I don't think you, you put Nadal in an outer court. Um, you know, because he, he is the main attraction in that tournament. Um, you know, there's no name at that tournament nearly as big as his on the men's or women's side. Uh, so, you know, just some craziness there. And ends up, you know, that probably cost him a little bit when he's playing against Benini. I, I would agree. Um, I, absolutely. That's a, that's a very late start. I mean, you, you look at some of the U.S. Open late-night drama, early morning drama in New York, and, of course, the Baghdad-Hewitt match in Australia that started very, very late and, uh, you know, finished very late as well. But, um, you know, Jared, uh, Nadal was the defending champ there in Rio. He did not uh, defend, obviously, losing to Fognini in the semis. Uh, and uh, when we wake up uh, today, Nadal is number four in the rankings Murray just ahead of him at three, and he's got Nishkori nipping at his heels uh, for the number four slot. And we talked about this a couple shows ago. You know, Nadal has a lot of points to defend. I think he's the uh, uh, he's got the final in Miami and Rome, which are Masters 1000 events, and then he won uh, Masters 1000 in Madrid, and of course Roland Garros. That's uh, that's a heck of a lot of points coming up, and. Uh, you know, if as you mentioned, a lot of questions with Rafa. If he's not able to answer those to his standards, he's he might free fall a little bit in the rankings. Your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean he's gonna free fall in the rankings. It's pretty inevitable at this point. Um, he's playing Buenos Aires this week, a 250 tournament when there's two 500s going on. Uh, so sticking to the clay, even at the risk of you know missing out on a chance to win more ranking points. But he has a ton to defend, and you know. I kind of think you look at that 11 spot, um, 
that's probably where he could be after Roland Garros. Um, there's a big gap between 11 and 12, so I think uh, dropping any lower than 11 seems unlikely. Um, I don't think Song is going to pass Nadal in the rankings, but you know, I think at this point right now, Roland Garros is a long, long ways away, but if Nadal's sitting at number 11, I wouldn't be surprised um, just because he has so much to defend, and he really has to play as well as he did last year, which seems very unlikely at this point, just to remain in the top five. Um, and the gap between five and 11 right now is very small. Um, so, you know, a lot of trouble Nadal's in right now, I think. Uh, you know, his last chance to really gain points on his ranking is at Indian Wells in a couple of weeks. So a lot of pressure on him to perform well there. Uh, otherwise, he's going to be in some trouble. And, you know, even if he does do well there, I think he's still in some trouble. And things just aren't looking good for Nadal right now. Um, but really, that's a problem more, I think, for Djokovic, Federer, and Murray, um, even Nishikori, because now they don't have the guarantee of avoiding Nadal in the early rounds of, of Madrid, Rome, and Roland Garros, uh, and then eventually Wimbledon after that. Uh, they could be facing them pretty early on at some of those tournaments, which is uh, both scary and exciting. I, I agree. We had the same uh, sort of conversation with uh, Warenka, uh, who's now at number seven. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, you never know which Stan is going to show up, and uh, you might see him very early on in in, uh, in a major draw as well. So, yeah, uh, very interesting to see what happens with the Nall going forward. And as you mentioned, uh, an opportunity for him uh, at Indian Wells to, to gain back some of those points that uh, some of those that he's going to have to defend going forward. How about uh, Ferrer? Uh, Jared, this was his 23rd career title. He's 32 years old. Uh, he's going to be 33 in April. Uh, he just keeps going and uh, won the title very easily over Fognini. All credit to Fognini. I mean, taking out Nadal in the semi is, is uh, one of the best wins of his career outside of some title wins. But uh, David Ferrer, you know, very easily, I believe it was 2-3 and three over Fognini. And uh, this is just somebody who keeps going and going and uh, – I just want to give a shout out to uh, to V Ferrer. I want to get your thoughts possibly on Ferrer, but also concurrently, how about Pablo Cuevas, uh, who we talked about last show, got his third title in the last eight months last week, and then uh, obviously took the first set off Nadal. Is this three titles on clay? Obviously, he was seated 27th at the Australian and lost very early, but uh, we're here. We're coming into the clay court season. The Masters 1000s on clay. Uh, your thoughts, do you think Pablo Cuevas could be a long, long shot or even a dark horse, uh, not to win Roland Garros, but to take some guys out along the way? Um, after the run Goldbiss made last year, I think we could see a similar run from Cuevas. Uh, but I think quarterfinals, semifinals, you know, that's as far as he can get. Um, obviously, right now, he's he's the most successful clay court specialist uh, on tour, um, in- incredible what he's doing, and you know all of his good results are coming on clay, um, and he's doing it consistently. So you know he's not going to make a whole lot of noise at Indian Wells and, and Miami, but then when we go to um, Monte Carlo and Miami, he's going to be right back at it, and he's going to be in the late rounds of some of these tournaments. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see him. This this will be our first chance to see him with a good ranking to where he's going to get seated at some of these tournaments. Um, and also where he's playing in good form. Uh, so now a real test to see what he's made out of, see what he can do um, now that he's going to be given this opportunity to make a run at some of these bigger tournaments and not just doing well at uh, Challenger clay court events or 250 clay court events. Uh, we're really going to see him against the big names. And then also with David yeah, Ferrer, um, another one of those guys who's up into the 30s playing well, uh, you know, when when the, when Ferrer was five and six in the world for all those years, what what made him so good was the consistency of results he had, um, always doing well. And I think now that he's gotten a little bit older, we've seen the consistency go away. But he's still capable of winning these 500 events. Uh, you know, if he can avoid Nadal, Djokovic, uh, Federer, whoever, if he can avoid those top guys, he's he's the next best one up there when he's playing his best. Um, so he's certainly still capable of winning these. 200, 250 or 500 events, um, but, but just because of a little bit more inconsistency in his game now, he has dropped down to number nine, but he's still just as good of a player as he was before. No, I completely agree. Well, well said uh, across the board with Ferrer, and certainly nobody nobody wants to see 
him uh, match up uh, against them in, in, a, in a draw because they know that they're going to be pretty worn down uh, even if they get the W against Ferrer going forward in, in, in the next match. And um, shifting gears a little bit, Jared, uh, going to Marseille, France, where we had a final of a pair of Frenchmen, Gilles Simone, another 30-year-old, 30-plus guy. He is 30 years old. Uh, he played countryman Gail Monfils, uh, took him out. Uh, Simone had a uh, – boy, he had battles in every match uh, that he played in Marseille, but got the job done. A uh, couple things here. Monfils now falls. He, he made his 22nd career final, but he's only won five of those 22. He's 5-17 and 17 now in ATP finals in his career. That's a little surprising. But a um, little bit of noise from the French journalists about Simone a few weeks ago. And uh, Simone took some exception to that. Uh, can you elaborate on uh, on Gilles Simone and and what uh, was going on in his world a few weeks ago? Yeah, he gave he gave an interview in French a couple of weeks ago where he talked about talent and uh, said, you know, if to the French journalist, the definition of talent is having good hands and moving gracefully around the court. And uh, and he said, look, I don't I don't have those things, um, but what I do have is good timing, a lot of patience, and uh, and he said, to me, that's what talent is, and I have just as much talent as Gay or or a Sangha um, or Monfils. And, you know, he kind of went out there and said, you know, you you say these guys have as much talent, but you look at my results, my results are um, just as good as theirs. And so, you know, why don't, why don't you say I have talent? And, you know, I think a little bit for me, it's it's hard to know exactly what he was saying because it was translated over from uh, French. But I think there is, you know, a, a difference between talent, skill, and athleticism. I think those are three completely different things, and you and you combine those three things, and that's how you determine how good a player is. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say that Jill Simone is the most talented player, but he does have an awful lot of skill. He clearly has quite a bit of a, athleticism with, with a lot of speed. Um, he moves around the court very well, uh, but you know, he isn't the most talented guy. And so I, I don't know exactly, you know, what he meant when he said talented, because obviously he was using a French word there. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely went out, went at it with those other French journalists and, and kind of said, you know, give me some credit. Look what I've done with my career. Yeah. Very intriguing. Uh, I remember the first, one of the first years I uh, covered Cincinnati, uh, this was, uh, the August after Simone had made the world tour finals. And, uh, so uh, there were, Unusually, a number of a lot of French uh, journalists there, and so I, there was a Gilles Simone press conference, and um, I stuck around uh, for this for the French version of Simone's press conference, and very interesting. It still stays with me today, uh, Jared. You know the you know the English or American press conferences. It's just kind of like playing ping pong with the journalists and the and the player. When the French journalists kind of take over for the French portion. Uh, the whole demeanor changes with the player and the interaction with the journalists. In fact, the journalists will, well, it, the, the questions are so significantly longer. It's not being transcribed, but the player doesn't necessarily answer so quickly. They, they mull it over a little bit and, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a long question and it's a long answer. And I still remember Gilles Simone in, in 2009 talking with the French press uh, you know, this was a Masters 1000 early on in the in the um, in the tournament and whatnot. But it, that le- really left an impression to me that the, the cultural differences, if you will, that you mentioned, but also the way the interaction between the press, between the journalists and the player, uh, really came across. It was really uh, almost every question. Uh, Simone was very introspective and, and wanted to give an insightful answer and not necessarily rush an answer. So, yeah. I, Interesting to see what all comes of that, but uh, Simone, uh, I think, has the most titles out of uh, the other guys that he was compared to by a long shot, the, the Gasquets, the Monfils, the, uh, you know, everybody else that he was compared to uh, in, in French tennis. So all credit to Gilles Simone there. And, you know, before you uh, step aside from Marseille, Jared, a couple other guys in that draw had some really nice results um, want to give uh, credit to Simone Bellelli of Italy, recorded his first ever top 10 win. I think he was 0-35 before he took out uh, Milos Raonic in the third round, excuse me, second round, uh, won the third set tiebreaker 7-3 over Raonic. Uh, big win. I mean, th- this draw really opened up with a lot of seeds falling fairly early in this uh, in this draw. 
But uh, big win for Bellelli, and then another result that really stood out in Marseille, Jared. Sergei Stokowski has been playing some very solid tennis. He took out Stan Warinka, who obviously won uh, a tournament the week before, took Stan out in three sets, and then uh, won the first set from the eventual champ, Simone, in the semifinals. Uh, just want to get your thoughts uh, on Stokowski and Bellelli at this time. Yeah, Bellelli with a nice win over Raonic. Um, I think one of the problems with being a big server, and I've mentioned it before, is that when you get into a lot of tie breaks, your matches are determined by a few points here or there, or maybe a break point early in the set, and the match is over with all of a sudden. Um, and so Raonic is susceptible to some of these upsets, and he's been very good at avoiding them for a lot of his career. But, you know, occasionally it's not going to go your way, and he loses a very tight three-set match to Bolelli. So a nice job by Bolelli, really, just to be able to take advantage of uh, those opportunities that he had. And with Stokowski, he's playing really well. Took out Rasal in the first round, and he's got a rematch with Rasal this week. I believe they're playing in Dubai in the first round. Um, so we'll see them go at it again. But Stokowski was in control there, 6-3, 6-2, um, and ends up taking out Vavrinka. So great week for him. Also, Shardy beat Golbis. Golbis is in quite a sprite now. Um, obviously still still some injury issues with the arm. Um and he's got to get this figured out. He's going to start plummeting in the rankings soon because almost all of his points in defender between now and Roland Garros, um, he's in a lot yeah. of trouble right now, I think. Um, but I just want to go back to what we were saying about Gilles Simone. Uh, Feliciano Lopez yeah. sent out a tweet uh, earlier today. He said, congrats to Gilles Simone on winning uh, Open 13 in Marseille. Huge talent, this guy, and put huge talent in all caps. So, uh you know, other players took note of what he said, and, um, you know, I, I wonder if it's a little bit of a joke in the locker room now, uh, you know, if they go up to him and say, hey, hey, you got a lot of talent. Um, but obviously other players heard what he said, um, and so this is this is becoming a little bit of a thing right now. Yeah, that, yeah nice, nice of Lopez to do that to, uh, you know, uh, Players uh, giving support to fellow players and, uh, you know, hey, you know, we, we know how it's done. Uh, people haven't been in our shoes and uh, very, very respectful with respect to uh, Feliciano Lopez and, and, and his comments there with uh, with Simone and, and his effort and, and his result, obviously. And um, shifting gears, uh, Jared, we had a 250 here in the United States. Delray Beach uh, mentioned in past shows, this used to be the Scottsdale tournament that went to Las Vegas and uh, is now in Delray Beach. And a um, couple, I, I, another 30-plus-year-old guy, actually a guy in his mid-30s in this case, um, Ivo Karlovich got the title. He he was able to win over Donald Young. The, the, seems like Karlovich has been on tour forever. The sixth career title for him, uh, he was uh, in four finals last year, didn't win any of those. So a nice story for Ivo Karlovich, but... Uh, before we talk about Evo, I want to talk a little bit about Donald Young. Some very nice wins on his way to the final. Took out Dolgopolov, uh, took out Bernie Tomic, and uh, got to play Karlovich where he did lose 3-3. Three and three. But second career t- uh, final for Donald Young. Made the semis the week before in Memphis. Obviously the final here in Delray Beach. And uh, we'll talk about this a little bit about uh, a possible Davis Cup nod, if you will, to Donald Young. But let's concentrate, uh, if we will, on um, Donald Young and what he's done in Memphis, Delray Beach. And interestingly enough, tomorrow he is paying qualifier Ryan Harrison uh, in in the tournament here tomorrow. So I uh, want to get your thoughts uh, last week, last couple weeks, Donald Young, Memphis, and Delray first off. Yeah, you know, when Donald Young was a young guy um, and – and he was getting a lot of attention. Uh, the guys he was being compared to were Alexander Lugopolov, Bernard Tomic, and uh, Ryan Harrison. So now he's going to play three of them in four matches. Um, and how great would that be for him to win all three of them? But when you talk about the American hopes of about five years ago, Donald Young, uh, Ryan Harrison, Ryan Sweeting were the guys everyone was talking about. Ryan Sweeting won a title early on, uh, but he's kind of crashed out, and his career looks like it's pretty much over with. Um, you know, he's, he's making a little bit of a comeback right now, but nothing in the results suggests that it'll be a successful comeback. Um, Ryan Harrison reached a lot of semifinals, never got through to a final, and now here's Donald Young in his second career final. Um, you know, and he's come out of that slump that he was in a couple of years ago. He's really playing some good tennis right now. 
And, uh, yeah. yeah, he's making himself uh, an option for Jim Courier as that second single spot. Yeah, very much so uh, with respect to the struggles that uh, John Isner uh, is having. Actually, he's 3-3 three and three this year in 2015. Very surprising loss to uh, Matosevic in his first match in Delray Beach. This is somebody who he beat, I believe, three times uh, last year. And, uh, you know, I think he went out 4-4 four and four to Matosevic, a very surprising result there. Credit to Matosevic for getting that win, but... One has to question, you know, what's going on with John Isner uh, at this point. He's, um, he's crashed out early now. Memphis, Delray Beach, th- these, this is the United States where John Isner plays his best tennis on hard courts, no less, and um, some question marks there. Um, before before um, you chime in on Isner, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about Karlovich. This is a guy who had some serious health issues and concerns uh, not, uh, just a few years ago. Stuck with it. I think he's 35 years old, sixth career title, and it just seems like this guy can can keep going. Um, and you know, he get get some, get to a tie break, and he's got to like his chances, uh, sort of like Isner. But uh, Karlovich is getting it done. You um, want to hear what you have to say about uh, the accomplishment of Ivo Karlovich first of all, and then as you mentioned, some of the Davis Cup uh, potential. Uh, questions with respect to who will represent the United States now that John Isner is 3-3? Three and three. Um, I said last week that this tournament's a great tournament for the big servers, but then in the couple, first couple of days, you have John Isner, Sam Query, and Kevin Anderson all going out early. Kevin Anderson is the only one of the three to get a win, and then right after that, he loses in straight sets to Renu Liu. Uh, so not a, not a good tournament even for Kevin Anderson. Um, but then Ivo Karlovich still finds a way to come through, uh, beating uh, really quality opponents like Steve Johnson, Sinopsikonkinakis, uh, Dustin Brown, and then eventually Adrian Manorino and Donald Jung, the two lefties at the end. And lefties do tend to be tough uh, for the big servers, but he handled them both easily. Uh, those were his two best matches, winning 6-3, 6-4, and then 6-3, uh, So another guy at you know 35 years old is incredible, playing the best tennis of his career. He's not far off from his career high ranking, which he set seven years ago. Um, and he's playing great tennis, uh, played well in Bogota uh, last year. Um, and just things are going well for him. And, and he's someone that can always pull off an upset still. Um, he's still very dangerous. You know, he's probably not moving as well at 35, but he's, he's I think, a smarter player now than he was seven years ago. Um, and knowing how to, how to maximize his strength and hide his weaknesses. And his strengths are obvious. It's his, his serve. And uh, his weaknesses are obvious, which is his return and movement. Uh, but he's found a way uh, to make a winning formula with what he has. And, and you know, at, at 35, I think that's what makes him a better player than he was at any other point in his career right now. Agreed. And, you know, we've seen it from other guys uh, who've been on the shelf for, for various reasons. James Blake, uh, who was off for a while, and they they come back and they really appreciate uh, the fact of uh, what they do for a living and, and what they're very good at. And, you know, Karlovich, uh, scary situations for him uh, with respect to his, his health, his life, and comes back, makes four finals last year, didn't win any, but uh, gets the win here in the United States against an American. And, uh, yeah, I, I, Ivo Karlovich is somebody who can just keep going and going and going, and a uh, very, very nice win for him. And, um, yeah, I, John Isner, uh, very surprising. Obviously, a lot was made when um, he decided to bring Justin Gimmelstab, uh as on as his coach this year. Um, so far, only 3-3. Three and three. I think a lot of people expected much, much more for from John Isner. He was one of my, you know, uh, teen seeds, if you will, uh, guys who were in the teens seated at the Australian as sort of a teen dark horse, um, obviously didn't do too much at the Australian and um, not doing much here in the United States. Let me ask you this, Jared. Uh, you know, Jim Courier, as we talked about, has some tough decisions to make. If you're Jim Courier and, uh, you know, looking at what Donald Young has accomplished, looking at uh, – what Steve Johnson has brought, uh, looking at uh, Sam Query has had some pretty good results, but obviously uh, uh, maybe not necessarily what uh, Young and Johnson have done, and obviously, unfortunately, some mediocrity from from John Isner. Who do you go with uh, to to play Great Britain and Scotland uh, for the U.S. on singles? Well, I'll say this: I I think what the team will be is the Bryan brothers and John Isner and Query. I don't think 
uh, Courier is going to stray from that. Um, but what I would like to see personally, I, I'd like to see uh, Steve Johnson that two single spot. Um, as far as Isner goes, I don't think you can take him out of out of that number one spot. Um, I think he's proven himself there. Uh, but I, I would love to see Steve Johnson at that number two spot. Um, then you know you have the four college guys. I think you know Davis Cup is a lot like college mm-hmm. tennis with that tennis atmosphere. Yep. And you know you, you go with four guys in your team that had success in college. I think Steve Johnson and uh, John Isner are two of the most successful college players of all time. Yeah. Uh, and you know make a team out of them and the pros. That's like a dream team right there if, if you're a college tennis fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you're going to go up against James Ward and and Andy Murray and um, you know, a, a decent doubles team, but I think the the Bryan brothers are pretty safe. I think Curry can be confident in them. And you need to get two wins from singles, and I don't think you're going to get them against Andy Murray. I don't think the Americans have anyone that they can throw out there that really can upset uh, Murray. So you have to go with two reliable guys who aren't going to get upset by James Warden. That's, that's what you're looking for. And I think Steve Johnson and John Isner are the two most reliable guys that Jim Curry can put out there and uh, say, okay, James Ward, you got to beat one of them. And I think Steve Johnson and John Isner would both get the job done. Um, I think even even Query will get the job done against Ward this time. I don't think he'll, he'll lose to him twice in a row in Davis Cup. Uh, but I, w- I would feel more comfortable with uh, Steve Johnson. But I think either way, the Americans are in good shape right now. Uh, it's going to be tough for Great Britain to get a win without having Andy Murray on the court in singles. I think even Andy Murray in doubles uh, isn't going to be able to give the Bryan brothers trouble. I agree. I, I, good good point there. I, I really liked how you framed that with respect to uh, four guys who've played, uh, you know, significant college tennis, uh, John Isner, Steve Johnson, and the Bryan brothers, uh, the team camaraderie. I, I think that's, uh, too often overlooked, uh, taking nothing away from from Sam Query and some of the other guys who've represented the U.S. in the past. But sure, this is a, a very uh, the way you presented that. I completely agree. I think Steve Johnson is deserving as well. I, I do agree with you. I think Query, uh, if he is uh, the number two player here, uh, would also get the job done against uh, James Ward. I think uh, both guys would, but. Uh, it didn't happen last time on, on U.S. soil, and you were there for that in San Diego. So, uh, plus the the whole wild card element, if you will, of the Davis Cup experience. We've seen some very unusual uh, events transpire in Davis Cup, some shocking upsets, and uh, guys playing absolutely out of their mind uh, to get the job done. So, uh, but then again, that could be Steve Johnson, who's who's bringing that as well, uh, representing the U.S. and. Uh, we talked about Rio, the 500 there with Nadal, um, also Marseille, Gilles Simone getting the win, Delray Beach we just wrapped up. Any other thoughts uh, on any of those three tournaments uh, or somebody that we necessarily didn't uh, talk too much about that uh, stands out in your mind this week, Jared? Uh, just a great week overall for the young guys um, with George getting the win, Tanasi Kakanakis, and uh, Andre Rublev was the one that really stuck out to me. He beat Duty Staley, who's right. been in form. But uh, I especially want to bring up uh, Yoshihito Nishioka, uh, the 19-year-old from Japan. He's now ranked 145 in the world, new career-high ranking. Uh, He got two wins on the ATP World Tour, his first two wins of his career at that level, um, and two solid wins at that, uh, beating Matosevic in the second one, who had just come off his win against John Esner and really beat down Matosevic. Um, He's a 5'7 lefty, and... Uh, the way he strikes the ball, it, it's fun to watch. Um, it's very easy on the eyes. Um, a very talented player, only 19 years old. And I'm excited to see more out of him. He's He's been a little bit under the radar. I mean, obviously he's gaining attention as a teenager, uh, ranked in the top 150 of the world. But probably not as much as, as Chorich, Zverev, and Kyrgios. But um, he's right up there with those guys. I think of him as one of the top teenagers. And he proved it again with what he did in Delray Beach this week. So, someone to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to sh- uh, give one more shout-out to uh, a, a, a guy. You see his name in the draw, especially uh, more in, in European tournaments than here in the U.S., but uh, he has quietly crept up to a career high of number 57 in the world. He reached the semis last week in Rio de Janeiro before losing to eventual champ David Ferrer. 
Andreas Hader Maurer of Austria, uh, number 57 in the world. And Jared, between now and the beginning of Roland Garros, this is somebody who only has 96 points to defend um, on, for his ranking. And uh, he's 57, so he, he plays very well on clay. Uh, took out Robredo in the second round in Rio. And, uh, you know, you have guys who, who are feeling it, who are playing very well, almost like a Cuevas. And here's somebody else that uh, – might not necessarily have three titles like Cuevas, but uh, he, he's feeling it. He's bringing it, and, and as we know, it's all about momentum, and you never know what might be able to happen. He actually lost the first set to Ferrer in the in the semifinals, uh, five seven. So, uh, just want to, uh, as you mentioned, the youngster from Japan, want to uh, bring up twenty uh, seven year old Hater uh, Maurer of of Austria, somebody that again, tennis aficionados see his name in the draw. Don't necessarily know too much about him. I, I even looked at some of his Masters 1000 results. He's played Cincinnati a grand total of once. He lost in qualifying first round that one time. He's only played Indian Wells a grand total of once and lost qualifying uh, first round as well. So, uh, you know, with that kind of ranking, if he's able to uh, climb a little higher, obviously he'll think uh, better about coming to play the Masters 1000s in North America to uh, at least compete. And uh, with that, uh, Jared, we're going to come up on a break. We've got, obviously, uh, three tournaments going on this week as well. Uh, we're, uh, we are in Dubai, and uh, we are in Acapulco this week, and uh, we're going to come back and talk about these tournaments when we come back on Passing Shots on the Pro 10 Radio Network right after this. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke Summer Sound effects on you? Cool. You okay with this? And this? And what about this? Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. Little Caesars, home of the $5 hot and ready pepperoni pizza, now has a deep, deep dish pizza with eight crispy caramelized corner slices and even more cheese and pepperoni. So head on down and grab a large for just eight bucks and tell them Alan Varner sent you. They won't know who that is, but as a voice actor, I'm always trying to get my name out there. Check me out at alandoesvoices.com. That's A-L-A-N doesvoices.com. But first, get the new deep, deep dish pizza. It's hot and ready every day from 4 to 8 p.m. for just 8 bucks, only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. Hi, this is Dick Gould. You're listening to the Pro 10 Radio Network. And welcome back to Passing Shots on the Pro 10 Radio Network. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen and Jared Pine of the Second Serve. And, Jared, we left uh, the break. Uh, coming back with action this week, uh, we're going to start talking about the 500 tournament in Dubai. A couple of uh, – actually, the top two players on the ATP circuit are in action this week. First time they've played in quite a while, that being Novak Djokovic, who's going to play Boxing Pospisil tomorrow. And today we had Roger Federer taking on Mikhail Yuzhny. They met for the 16th time today, and Federer just uh, drummed Yuzhny 6-3-6-1. Maybe a little bit of rust early on from Fed just as he got out of the blocks, but uh, he corrected uh, at will and took care of Yuzhny. We're going to talk about uh, those guys as well as uh, some very intriguing first-round matchups, but... um, Let's first start talking about Roger Federer, uh, his win today, and uh, Djokovic in his matchup against Pospisil tomorrow. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, obviously you look at the draw in Dubai, and it's it's a lot different than what's going on in Acapulco. Um, even though they're both 250s, Acapulco closer to the uh, big upcoming tournament in Indian Wells, you would think that would be the one that gets a bigger draw, but obviously bigger prize money in Dubai, bigger appearance fees, and they go out and they get the best players. You have uh, Djokovic, uh, Murray, Federer, and Burdich as your top four seeds there. Uh, that's just an incredible draw uh, for a 250. Um, and so that's oh, it's, it's actually exciting. a 500. Uh, Dubai, Dubai, or, yeah. Yeah, Dubai and Acapulco are 500s. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, that's, that's what I was. Okay. Um, but, yeah, 
obviously four really good players there, and, and when we get to the semifinals and later rounds, that's going to be exciting and already have some results in there. Um, we mentioned Golbus earlier. He's already out, uh, not too surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a fun tournament. Um, Federer already got through Usni and Djokovic coming up on Pospisil in a bit. Um, that'll be a fun one. I believe it's being played tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Ernest Golbus, uh, five losses to start 2015, uh, actually seven in a row if we uh, go back to last year. Uh, Jared, this is somebody who obviously took Federer out at uh, Roland Garros, and, uh, you know, a couple, I think a match or two later, he was asked uh, about his play, and he, he said uh, at that point in uh, in early June at Roland Garros that um, – he wants to go all the way to number one in the world. And, you know, when, when you're playing very well in a major, when you take out uh, a legend like Roger Federer and you're, you're, you know, you're feeling it. We talked about momentum uh, with guys like, like Cuevas and Hader Maurer and whatnot. But, uh, you know, Gulbis was obviously feeling it. Uh, for Ernest Gulbis to say he wanted to be number one in the world, that certainly raised some eyebrows and uh, did very well at Roland Garros last year. But really, hasn't done much of anything since uh, since his run at Roland Garros. Uh, we talked about some some arm issues with Golbis. Uh, this is before we came on air. You were talking about this is something that uh, he needs to correct uh, very very soon. What what is what does Golbis do at this point in time? I think he needs to seriously consider uh, stepping away from the tour um, and getting some rehab, whatever that means. I don't know the specifics of his injury, obviously. Uh, but going out there and losing the first round week after week isn't helping him. Uh, you know, he's not playing the, mm-hmm. the form someone ranked inside the top 100 right now. And, you know, it seems like he's going out there because he knows he can get a seed and he's basically just hoping for an easy draw and uh, get a couple wins to keep his ranking alive while he tries to sort this armistice out. But, I mean, I think he's better off, you know, returning to Latvia or, uh, you know, wherever that may be for him to get some rehab and get this issue figured out uh, because continuing to play like this, he's not doing himself any favors. A great point. I completely agree, and sometimes that's what it takes. Uh, step aside from the tour, even though we're sort of in the thick of things. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, you can't uh, show up even though you have a seat and, and hope for, uh, you know, a, a gimme draw, if you will, because as we are as we know, there are no gimmies. And somebody – like a Dennis Esteman who took care of Golbus today, uh, that's not exactly somebody you you want to match up with uh, if you're not particularly playing well. There was a, another interesting result today. Uh, went three sets. Uh, Gasquet took out Seppi. A pretty pretty interesting match there. But I want to get your thoughts on a few more first round matches in 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 the Dubai 500. Uh, first off. Um, Let's take us through the uh, Dominic team uh, Batista Goot matchup. We can we're going to see in uh, in round one. Yeah, Batista Goot loves to play a very flat ball, not like Spaniards as far as that goes. And Dubai historically has been a very fast, uh, hard court, which is why you know last year we saw Federer come out there serving and volleying Djokovic off the court, um, and Federer was very successful with that because of the speed of the court. And so I think with uh, Batista Goot's flat. Uh, ground strokes, that's going to be to the advantage of him, whereas uh, team tends to prefer the slower courts. Uh, you know, give him some time to run around his backhand. That's going to be taken away, and uh, Bautista Gut's going to be able to pick on that one-handed backhand uh, of team and, you know, just fire some low flat balls right at it. And I, I think that's going to be tough for team to handle. So I see Bautista Gut getting through that one uh, there. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I I like your call there, and for those reasons, again, team liking the slower courts. Uh, I, I, and actually, the winner of that match is going to get Gasquet, who we talked uh, just took out Seppi. So, a nice, nice first round match up uh, the Goot team, and uh, even a nicer second round match of uh, the winner of that getting uh, getting Gasquet. And talked about Federer already getting through. Usually today, Roger Federer is going to await the winner. Uh, Verdasco and Garcia Lopez. Uh, you know, Verdasco is always a threat. We we still always remember his uh, very nice run at the Australian Open in the semis when he uh, played that long marathon match against uh, against Nadal. But uh, Verdasco, Garcia Lopez, winner against Federer. Who do you like in that match? Uh, I'd pick Garcia Lopez to get through that one just based on form. I think matchup wise, is probably a little bit better for Verdasco and. 
as I mentioned, the fast court thing, that's probably also an advantage over Dasco. But Garcia Lopez is playing the best test of his career right now, and you know I think he's going to be tough to stop. Um, so I pick Garcia Lopez to get through that one. Okay, yeah, I um, I'm I'm going to go with Verdasco. I just uh, I, I with all due respect to what you said about uh, Garcia Lopez playing exceptional tennis at this point in time. I I uh, I've just a gut feel on this one. Nothing more than than that with uh, with Verdasco getting through that one. So going to disagree with you on that. We we'll look forward to uh, seeing how those guys match up uh, tomorrow. Uh, an intriguing match here on the bottom half. Uh, Federer's half of the draw. Um, and number three seed Andy Murray, who's playing very good tennis as well, uh, playing against somebody who's also very hot at this point in time. Uh, he's going to play Gilles Mueller of Luxembourg, who we've talked about uh, quite a bit on this show the last few weeks. And uh, Murray Mueller, uh, again, Mueller bringing a, a very serious game into this match. I, I just think at this point in time, uh, Andy Murray is uh, is all business and uh He's healthy. He's playing very, very well. Can beat just about anybody in the field in the ATP. Uh, I think he's going to get through in straights. The winner of this match gets uh, Joe Souza, who took out the wild card from Ireland, James McGee. Jared, uh, what's going to happen in Murray Miller tomorrow? I got Murray going through this one, but you know, hard to overlook what Mueller's doing. He's played some beautiful tennis in the last 12 months, uh, really 11 months. So he is about one month left now, where he doesn't have a ton to defend. Uh, before he starts to find some of these points that he racked up at the challengers, um, he really started doing well uh, with that result in Guadalajara in the last week of March last year. So um, he has a couple weeks now, and then Indian Wells, where he can really start building up his ring. He's one spot below his his career high, which he achieved last week of 34. You know, maybe he gets into that top 32 here pretty soon, and uh, we could see him seated in Indian Wells or Miami. Uh, but I liked what you said about Murray being all business. I think you're absolutely right there, and uh, I think he's going to get through this one. Um, he knows how to handle the lefty serve. Um, I think the one issue Murray has with lefties is his own second serve. He struggles to be able to get to their backhand, um, but Mueller, not a great returner as it is. I don't think he's going to be able to take advantage of that uh, with Murray. And so as, as long as Murray takes care of his own serve, he's going to get the break, um, and he should be fine in this one, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And, uh, you know, if the seeds hold true here, we're looking at uh, a very interesting, intriguing uh, Roger Federer, Andy Murray semifinal, and most likely the winner would get Djokovic on, on the top half. So uh, this is a 500 tournament in February, and we're, we're you know, we're talking about some, uh, obviously, three of the big four here going at it. Uh, and, and some guys are probably going to meet uh, here in the semifinals. And one other matchup that really sort of jumps out uh, at the tennis aficionados in the first round of, of this tournament, Jared, uh, David Goffin, who's seated eighth, who, as we know, has played very well, uh, especially the second half of last year, playing someone who's really turned up the volume uh, already in 2015, Marcos Bagdadis, who got a wild card into this tournament, um, Goffin and Bagdadis, and um, I'm, I'm – Boy, I'm probably about 52-48 uh, in favor of Gofan in this one. Uh, just, uh, I, I just think he's uh, more complete at this point. Marcos is definitely on the rise, but I think Gofan has, uh, at least for uh, you know the last year or so, uh, has better results, and that's what I'm banking on for this one. How about you? Yeah, I went with Gofan too, but I like what you said. It, it's a complete toss-up here. Uh, the last few months, Bagdash has been trending up. Gofan has been trending down a little bit. Uh, but just over the whole last year, Gofan's had some incredible results. These are two of the best shot makers uh, on tour right now, in my opinion. And, you know, you're going to put them on a fast court. This is going to be a fun-to-watch tennis match, and there's going to be some good highlights that come out of this one. Uh, and You know, I'm not horribly confident in my Gofan pick. I could easily see Baghdad is coming through this one. Um, so that's definitely a match to keep your eye on. Uh, it's probably going to go the distance and come down to the last point. Yeah, good. yeah exactly right. Uh, very intriguing. I could see a third set breaker deciding this one as well. And um, one other match, I, I just want to bring this up uh, just for a different angle. Uh, Burdich is playing Chardis, and you look at what Burdich has done this year, and um, he lost in the finals of, of Doha got to the semis, uh, lost to the finals in, in Doha to Ferrer, 
got to the semis of uh, Australian Open, obviously won his first 16 sets of that tournament before uh, going out to Murray in the semis. Got to the final in Rotterdam, where he was just playing unbelievable tennis and lost in the final to Stan Warenka. So three tournaments, two finals, and a semi of a major. And, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, Chardy is somebody who can uh, give you problems. I'm, I'm just wondering if there isn't just a twinge of disappointment with uh, with Burdich and the fact that he's not being able to get a W this year uh, on tour. He is a pro. He, he, he certainly brings it. I'm... Um, I think Shardy might be able to sneak out a set here, but I'm going to go with Burdich in, in three. How about you? Yeah, I got Burdich going through this one as well. Um, I like what you said about him consistently making it to the end of these tournaments, but he has had a problem in his career where he struggles in those semifinals and finals matches. We mentioned Monfils' record in finals. Burdich isn't yeah. any more impressive in finals, um, but his ability to consistently get to the semifinals and finals is, is very impressive, and so you absolutely expect him to get through some of these early matches against uh, Shardy and maybe Pui or Bellelli down the line. Yeah, good good point. And um, another 500 going on uh, this week. Uh, not quite the uh, not quite the, the the names that Dubai has, but uh, this is a 500 level tournament in Acapulco. Um, they switched a couple of years ago. Jared to to hard courts away from the clay and interestingly enough, uh, uh, first off, the number one seed is Kena Shikori. But um, we have three guys in this draw that won titles on Sunday, and that is David Ferrer, Ivo Karlovic, and uh, should also mention that uh, Victor Estrella Burgos uh, won a challenger tournament. He is in the Alcapulco field as well. Um, we've got some pretty interesting. Um, First-round matches, I want to get your thoughts on them. Uh, first off, uh, Estrella Burgos uh, playing uh, Rendy Liu, who uh, we talked about earlier in the show, had a, a very nice win last week. Um, your thoughts, first off, on uh, on that first-round matchup between uh, Victor Estrella Burgos and uh, and Rendy Liu? Yeah, well, it's been said before, what separates the big four from the rest of tennis is that when they go out and win a title, they're back in it the very next week competing for another title, and, you know, I think for these guys, for Rare Karlovich and Estrella Burgos, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, so right after you have that high of winning a title, now you got to go back and grind it out all over again, starting from round one. And uh, so I got Randy Lou upsetting Estrella Burgos in the first round, um, partially because also this is on hard courts uh, where Lou has been playing yep. well of late and Estrella Burgos has been on the clay all this time. That, that's a tough transition to make. I think any player would tell you that, that going from clay to hard is very difficult. And so I got Lou getting through that one. Yeah, good call. I, I like that. Uh, the, the clay to hard uh, surface, obviously, uh, he's he's coming from playing a challenger, uh, Strayel Burgos, to playing a 500 as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, Lou's, Lou's won his share of challengers in his career as well. But that was that was years ago. I like that, uh, that point that you made there. And another one um, – Another first-rounder that really jumps out, and these are two guys that uh, have really been playing well of late. I talked about Bernie Tomic, uh, you know, going out to Donald Young last week, and uh, he's been playing well, though. And another guy that you had uh, talked about quite a bit last week, uh, Adrian Manorino of France. Tomic Manorino matching up in the first round, and um, I'm liking Tomic here. I think he's still feeling uh, stung in a good way, if you will, for uh, for not uh, taking out Donald Young last week in Delray. And uh, I think it's going to be a little bit more determined Bernie Tomic, and I think that's going to be the difference here. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm picking Tomic. And I think, you know, you could argue that Acapulco is going to be more exciting than Dubai, even though you don't have uh, the name recognition. I'd say to some of these top-seeded players in Acapulco, 500 points means a lot more to them than it does to Djokovic, Federer, and Murray. And so we're going to see some great yeah. matches here, and, and Tomic and Manorino is a great example of that. Uh, two guys who have been hot this year and uh, looking to continue it. Um, so kind of a battle of two guys really informed. That's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, but I got Tomic coming through it. I think it's two very crafty players, and uh, it, it's tough to be more crafty than Bernard Tomic. I think that's going to be a tough matchup for Manorino. Um I think Tomich loves playing some of these eclectic guys and, and taking advantage of that. And uh, he kind of has a little bit of a win-ugly attitude, and it might be ugly match at times, have some bizarre points, and 
Uh, Tomich's creativity is going to pull him through, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. And uh, any anything else uh, jump out at you with respect to the draw in Acapulco? You mentioned, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have all the names that the uh, other 500 does in Dubai, but yet we're going to see some some very intriguing tennis. Any anything that we didn't discuss uh, that you see in Acapulco that might uh, that might be uh, pretty interesting there? Well, uh, just a little while ago during our show, Kevin Anderson got through his first round against Dustin Brown and. Uh, looks like he's probably going to play against Steve Johnson. Uh, it'll be the third time, mm. at least, that they've met this year. Uh, I mentioned that Johnson's a great college tennis player. So is Kevin Anderson in his time with uh, yeah. Illinois, a very successful player there. So seeing two great college players from uh, different generations now getting to meet each other. Um, another one of those dream matchups for college tennis fans. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's Anderson has had Johnson's number of late, but they've been tight matches, and it's so tough to beat the same player over and over in tight matches. Uh, it is a pretty tough draw for Kevin Anderson. He already got through Dustin Brown, but now that was a tough one. Now he has to go through Steve Johnson, potentially Victor Troitsky, who's been playing well. Last couple of weeks yeah. had some disappointing results, but he's still playing well overall. And if you get through all that, he plays Nishikori. And Kevin Anderson's coming into this tournament defending 300 points, uh, finalist points. And, uh, you know, he's someone, his name's been tossed around as someone who could potentially break into the top ten. If he wants to do that, he needs to have a good result here this week. Uh, so Kevin Anderson's kind of the guy to watch, I think, especially after a disappointing result last week. Um, had had some time to get to Acapulco early and really get himself ready. So I want to, I want to see what he can do here. Uh, well put. Well put. Uh, with respect to the, you know, guys have different mentalities going into tournaments when they're defending points. This is, uh, you know, obviously it's it's difficult to win a tournament, let alone defend that. But you know, this is something that we saw Nishikori do for the third time uh, in in Memphis uh, last week as well. So yeah, Anderson is very well aware of the fact that he's got uh, all those points to defend, and you mentioned finals points, and so I, I think. Uh, you were much like I said about uh, Tomic being uh, very determined in his match, his first round match. We're going to have a, a very determined Kevin Anderson uh, this week in Acapulco, as you mentioned uh, earlier than expected exit last week. Got down there, uh, very used to conditions, dialed in. Uh, good, good call on on uh, Kevin Anderson, and look forward to that match against Johnson and. Jared, very unusual. We talked about uh, Rafael Nadal to open up the show with respect to his uh, time in Rio last week, who would have ever thought that, uh, you know, we have three ATP tournaments going on in a week and uh, the uh, the third and last tournament that we're going to talk about is one that involves Rafael Nadal. But uh, here we are. Granted, Dubai and, uh, and Acapulco are 500 tournaments. Nadal playing a, a 250 this week in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and he is the number one seed. A couple interesting storylines here. He could have a rematch in the semifinals with Fabio Fognini, where he lost to Fognini last week. That could happen. Could very well happen. Even if he gets through that, he would have a matchup in the final against Pablo Cuevas, who he played at the quarters uh, in uh, Rio last week. Obviously, that was a tight match as well. But um, obviously, you know, two 500s going on. Uh, you look at the draw in Buenos Aires, a lot of Argentine flags, if you will, a lot of Argentine players getting through qualifying, wild-carded and whatnot. But uh, top four seeds, one Nadal, two Robredo, three Cuevas, and four Fognini. Um, Want to get your overall thoughts, opinions on uh, on this tournament. And uh, also we're going to talk about uh, Almagro a little bit uh, and obviously a very accomplished clay court player that just seemed just can't seem to get past Cuevas. But first off, your your thoughts on uh, on Nadal is in, in his potential rebound this week in Buenos Aires. Yeah, Nadal also could meet uh, Carreño Busta again. Uh, met him last week. They could meet in the second round. Uh, looks yeah. like he also might have played Bellucci, but Bellucci just lost to Lorenzi this morning. Um, I, I said that the rematch with Fanini wouldn't happen. I don't think Fanini's going to be ready to, on a short turnaround to, to perform well again, I picked Vaselli to get through uh, the semifinals. We saw hmm. him win his first title of his career early on this season. Hasn't backed that up, but he has a nice draw. He's playing Blasrol in the first round. He's in a little bit of a slump. Then he gets the winner of two qualifiers. Uh, so 
you know, you look at that, that's probably going to be an easy win for him. And then he's uh, going to face, you know, Berloke, Schwartzman, or, or Fanini most likely. Um, and so I like Vaselli's chances to get to the semifinals. I think that'd be fun to see the young guy take on Nadal in a yeah. semifinal on clay. Um, it's all right if I change directions here a little bit. There's there's a story coming yep. out that I want to get into. Um, Juan Jose Moro, uh, an Argentine journalist, he's there in the tournament right now at Buenos Aires. Um, obviously, you have Davis Cup coming up in a week. Um, and so he was interviewing Juan Monaco, um, talking about Delpo, who's been out with injuries. And uh, Monaco said this. He said in Spanish, uh, mi, mi relación con él es nula. Es más, yo, yo no hablo con él. Um, basically saying, I have no relationship with uh, Del Pocho. I never talked to him. And kind of being pretty public wow. about it, saying, uh, we're not friends. Uh, we don't like each other. Uh, he says quite a bit here. I've, I've been trying to read it as, during the podcast. Um, but he says, you know, I, I have respect for him. Um, I, I accept him, and I hope that he plays. Um, that's That's what's best for our country. I hope that he plays. Uh, but I'm not going to talk to him. Um, we're basically going to talk through our captain, um, and and that's how it's going to happen. You know, we're going to find a way to win together, uh, but we don't like each other, and we're not going to talk to each mm. other. Um, so very interesting. I'm going to try to read the rest of it later on, uh, but this is just coming out now. Obviously, not a not a big secret that there's been these kind of problems going on in Argentina. Uh, with Nalbandian, uh, Juan Ignacio Chela, uh, Juan Martín del Potro, and Juan Monaco. Um, those four guys, you know, it seems like they're always butting heads, and, and it's coming to the surface here again. Um, so this is going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, a week before Davis Cup this is coming out. Uh, so a story to follow in the upcoming days. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you mentioned that and, and uh, Argentina, I mean, it, you know, David Nalbandian, it, it seemed like, uh, well, obviously he always answered the bell for Davis Cup. I mean, he'd, he'd even skip a major if he needed to, to get himself uh, mentally and physically prepared to play Davis Cup for Argentina. So, uh, you know, that that's, uh, it, but, you know, you, you talked about that. And I guess the, the, the first thing that came into my mind when you were sharing that, uh, Jared, was, you know, there were obviously some issues with, uh, with Leighton Hewitt and Bernie Tomic for Australia. And, and I, I do remember uh, <laughs> they paired to play Davis Cup doubles together, uh, put aside their differences to, uh, you know, put the gear on for Australia and play doubles together when when you thought that that was, uh, you know, 179 degrees apart from each other. So, sure, uh, yeah, we've got an ATP tournament going on in Argentina this week. Uh, Nadal is there. And, and then for uh, Monaco to come out and, and, and say all this with respect to Delpo, very interesting. Uh, they are playing host to uh, the Brazilian squad, which uh, in itself should be an interesting tie uh, to South American nations going at it in Davis Cup. But, wow, thanks for bringing that uh, to our attention. Obviously, spotlight uh, all of a sudden might shift from the 500s in Dubai and Acapulco down to Buenos Aires with respect to uh, Davis Cup taking the upper hand uh, away from this tournament. Uh, very, very interesting, very intriguing. And... Um, one, just one other question with respect to a player in, in this draw, uh, Jared. Uh, Nicholas Almagro, obviously a very, very solid player who's had some injuries of, of late, obviously has plummeted in the rankings uh, due to that. But he's had some hard luck so far this year. He has played Pablo Cuevas already three times. We're not even out of February. Played him three times, has lost all three times. Fortunately for him, they're in opposite halves of this particular draw. He opens with uh, number seven seed. Pablo Anderhar, but, um, you know, Amagro is a, is a very, very seasoned player. Uh, obviously, maybe something going on with the matchup against Cuevas, but I uh, want to get your thoughts on what we might see from Almagro in, in 2015 overall. Yeah, I'm looking at the points he has to defend right now. The last time he'll defend points is Barcelona, where he was a semifinalist last year after beating Nadal in the quarterfinals. Uh, a great event there. But, I mean, after that, he's mm-hmm. going to have very little to his name as far as ranking points. Also a tough draw in the Australian Open losing to Corey in the first round. So following yeah. Barcelona, it's pretty tough for him to get into these tournaments. He's probably going to get a wild card in uh, his home country's tournament in Madrid. Um, but yeah. after that, he's going to have to start relying on protected ranking 
so it's good to see that for Buenos Aires, he didn't need to use the protected ranking. He got in directly. You get eight of them, so he got to save that up. Uh, I believe he's used one or two already. Um, so he has some saved up, and I think he'll be okay in the long run. Uh, but, with, you know, when you get a draw like this, he's got to get a couple rounds, uh, get some wins over Andahar, uh, potentially Ramos or Zabayos. You know, not, not an easy draw, but I could see him getting through there to the quarterfinals, set up a quarterfinal against Robredo. Um, he needs to do that because um, yeah. he's not going to be able to rely on the protected ranking forever. And while he's on clay, where he plays his best, uh, that's where he needs to start building up his ranking. So big stuff for him coming up here. Obviously a very good player. If he can get his ranking back up, uh, we'll start seeing him more often, I think. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, yeah, I, I doesn't want to use those protected rankings unless he has to. Like you mentioned, got in direct entry here. Um, obviously, again, two other larger tournaments going on, points elsewhere. But you get the feeling he would have been playing this one anyway uh, with respect to uh, the fact that it's uh, in, in a Latin American country and it's on clay. So, yeah. And, uh, Jared, uh, you know, before we wrap up tonight, want to uh, – just see if you had anything to chime in on with respect to last week's action or uh, anything um, that we didn't really discuss that's happening this week uh, outside of, you know, again, thanks again for sharing the uh, Davis Cup drama coming out of Argentina. But anything in, in these draws or any other players that uh, that are on the rise that we necessarily didn't talk about here or any of the youngsters that we uh, like to mention throughout the, the broadcast as well? Yeah, I mean, we got a little bit into mentioning what happened with uh, – Nadal and Bernardes in Rio. Um, Nadal said during to Bernardes, I'm, I'm serious right now. I, I never want to be umpired by you ever again. Um, was very emphatic about it. You know, said over and over, I'm being serious right now. You know, I, I don't like you. I don't want you uh, umpiring my matches. And now I believe uh, Bernardes is going to be in Buenos Aires. Uh, so I'm interested to see if uh, if the ATP is going to respect Nadal's wish and uh, get him a different chair umpire or if he's going to have Bernardes because he has had issues with Bernardes before. Um, I'm sure he wasn't thrilled to see, even when the match began, that he was that he was going to be umpired by Bernardes. Um, so, you know, see now if the ATP is listening to what Nadal is saying. Uh, you know, he obviously has um, a strong impact. And when he said that he didn't like how the, cl- the clay was blue in Madrid, they changed it back to red. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of what Nadal says he gets. And we'll see if this is another case of that, if he gets umpired by Bernardes or not. Yeah, good point. I, I've seen Fabio Fognini say similar things uh, to uh, Cedric Morier. Obviously, I don't. I, I I continue to see Morier officiate Fognini matches. So it, I mean, it's not like Fognini said, uh, you know, I don't ever want you again. He said other choice words, but to uh, directly to Morier. But uh, yeah. Like you said, obviously I think Bernardes is going to be there. I think you said he is there. Uh, so interesting to see who whom the ATP uh, puts uh, in the chair for Nadal's matches. But, uh, yeah, in my opinion, uh, Carlos Bernardes was simply following the rule book. And, uh, you know, a, a player having uh, not, not feeling well physically, obviously Nadal starting his match in the, in the morning against Cuevas, uh, a niggle here or there, and uh, – you're you're not a happy camper, especially when you're not playing to the best of your ability. And so, I'm hoping that uh, the two can uh, break bread together, if you will. And and it's just a situation where it was uh, uh, unfortunate scenario there. But yeah, I I think in in my opinion, Carlos Bernardes was simply uh, doing his job as a chair official there, and uh, a little little surprised or a lot surprised by uh, how Nadal carried on there. Yeah, great point. I absolutely agree. I think uh, Bernard said the right thing, and, and great points you make there about that. Yeah. Any uh, any other uh, any other points before we uh, sign off for this week, Jared? Uh, no, I'm just excited for this week to get going. Um, then we got Davis Cup going on, and then uh, Indian Wells, and you really get into the time of the season where every match is a lot of points at stakes. We have uh, several 1,000s uh, going on in the span of just a few months. Uh, all on the road to Roland Garros. So very exciting stuff in tennis, and uh, yeah, let's enjoy it. I completely agree. And a uh, couple things to watch. Obviously, even though this is a 250, uh, Rafael Nadal. I, I think I read somewhere that uh, if the right things happen or don't happen, Nishikori could actually uh, be number four next week uh, 
if if uh, the right scenarios take place. So uh, who who would have ever thought that would be possible? But uh, again, Rafael Nadal has uh, boatloads of points to defend between now and the conclusion of Roland Garros. So all eyes are on him. Murray has already supplanted him at uh, at number three, and Murray has a uh, few points to defend. But uh, absolutely, two five hundreds going on this week. Dubai, we mentioned the names there. Acapulco, some very interesting, intriguing matchups in Acapulco, and obviously Rafael Nadal, uh, all eyes will be on him to see if he's able to rebound and ricochet back into the player that we all know he is in Buenos Aires. So on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying good night, God bless, another edition of Passing Shots on the Pro 10 Radio Network. We'll see you next Monday. Good night.